Thank you, guys. All right, we are in for a treat this morning. Uh, we have Pastor Lori Short here as our guest speaker. Uh, really exciting. The pastors go to Israel. We bring in awesome people. Um, so she is an author, a speaker, as well as an associate pastor at Ocean Hills Covenant Church in Santa Barbara. So we're really excited to have her here. She's written two books. First one is called Finding Faith in the Dark. Um, and then the second book is called When Changing Nothing Changes Everything. Um, and I... I tried to describe these books earlier, and I feel like when you listen to her message, I epically failed because it didn't give it enough credit of how incredible they are, as this morning she shares her story in that. Um, really incredible. The first one is about going through a hard time and seeing through faith during that hard time. And the second one, she's really intentional about it um, to share with friends that maybe don't normally come to church. She didn't put a very christian title on there um, specifically so that we can read it and share it with with our friends. Um, so we're really excited. She is also a bonus, really good friends with Jeff Mazzarello. So that's awesome. She's been staying in his house, and I think maybe she might stay at Marin. So uh, she sounds like she loves it. Anywho, help me join and welcome um, Lori Short up here. Thank you so much, Shelly. Yes, Jeff uh, texted me from Israel, and uh, he, you know, he said, I just want to make sure you're getting settled in. And I said, my gosh, Jeff, your house. And he goes, well, you can come back anytime. And I said, great, I'll be here when you get back. Um, we, we don't know if we're going to leave. And I didn't think there was anything better than Santa Barbara, but I think you guys are the little bit north version of Santa Barbara up here. And I bring greetings from Ocean Hills Covenant Church. Of course, we're sister churches and that we're both covenant churches. And one of the things that I said in the earlier service is that sometimes church can be a little bit like Facebook in that everybody around you looks more perfect and more together than they actually are. And I know that when I was single and I used to bravely come to church, and, and uh, I think sometimes it's, it's harder when you're single, and I would come and I'd see all these families and these cute little kids, and I'd be like, gosh, Lord, if only I could have that life. And what I know now that I'm married and have actually raised a child, that they were looking at me going, oh, Lord, why can't I have that life? And the truth is, we, we just see partial truths in each other's lives. We don't see the full version. A lot of times on social media, that's true, but it's even true in life. And then we actually live our real life. And we might feel like sometimes we wish we had another life. I'm sure some of you have felt that in certain seasons of your life. But the fact is, we don't get to choose another life. We get the life we get. But we always get to choose every day how we live this God-given life. When I first got to Santa Barbara, uh, the pastor there, John Ireland, who's also a good friend of, of Jeff Mazzarello's, he wanted me to speak and kind of uh, let everybody in on uh, a little bit about me. And I was actually preaching on contentment, so I decided to give a little soundbite of a typical day in my life. I said, I got up this morning, and I was all alone. No husband, no kids. There's actually a, a for sale sign out on the front lawn, so I might not be able to stay here much longer. And probably if it sells, the rent will go up, and I'll have to find something else. And really, honestly, dating at my age uh, is kind of tough because everybody has baggage. It's really just a matter of choosing what kind of luggage you want to live with. And you know what? Coming to church as a single person can be kind of painful because it's, it's tough 
to see families all around you. You feel your singleness everywhere you go. Well, I stopped, and everybody was staring at me just like you're staring at me right now. <laughs> and I looked over at the pastor, and he was also staring at me, wondering what in the world was going to come next. And I didn't say anything, I just started again. I said, I got up this morning, and I had the place to myself. It was quiet, and I could do whatever I wanted. The for sale sign is still there, so I'm going to get to live here another month. And you know what? Dating at my age is so much better because you actually know yourself more. And you have so much more grace for other people because you realize that life is complicated. And working at a church is such a gift. What a blessing to have a family where you work when you don't have one at home. Well, I tell you what, brothers and sisters, I could have stopped my sermon right there because that was the only part of the talk people remembered. And I realized that morning. And I think that's where the seed was planted for my new book, how important our perspective is on our life. And the reason it's important is because it affects the way we live our life. It affects the way we respond to our circumstances, which actually can make a difference in how things turn out, because God partners with us in living our life. And we have choices that we get to make. And this isn't just a worldly concept, perspective. And, and, I, and just as Shelley shared, I'm really excited about this book because I fought to not have spiritual words on the title so it would trick people. So you could actually give it to people who are maybe outside the church and they would read it and possibly even meet God in it. But the truth is, perspective is a very biblical concept. And we see it all through Scripture. In the New Testament, we see it in Paul, who wrote many of his letters in prison. And in particular, the book of Philippians, which is actually known as the Be Happy book. He wrote that when he was sitting in a jail cell. And you know what he says in that book? He says, while he's sitting in prison, he goes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is what he's saying in his letter, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about Paul in the prison cell with Attila the Hun, who's the guard, and that's all he gets to talk to all day. And I'm going, Paul, buddy, I don't know how being in prison is really going to be advancing the gospel. But he knew that his being in prison was spurring other people on to share the gospel. What he didn't know is the fact that he looked at his circumstances and said, what can I do while I'm here? Well, I think I'll write some letters. I'll write some letters to encourage my brothers and sisters. How could Paul have seen that the letters that he was writing in that jail cell would be the word of God that has spread to literally millions upon millions of people throughout history? That is perspective. And because Paul saw his life as bigger than him, he just did what he could in the circumstances he was given. In the Old Testament, we see another example in the book of Esther. Now, I'm sure some of you are familiar with her story. I know Wonder Woman just came out, and Esther's a great book to read right now. It's the power of the girl, the woman. And I have to tell you that she was a Jewish or orphan who was raised by her cousin. She didn't even have parents. But she happened to be beautiful. And in that particular time, there was a contest that the king was having to raise up another queen. He didn't want his queen anymore, so he was going to pick a new one. And so all the beautiful maidens all over the land were brought to the palace, and Esther was brought to the palace. 
It was actually the first recorded version of The Bachelor. You might not know that, but that's, that's where it was. That's where it originated. So they all came in, and they were in the palace, and Esther got the rose. She got the crown. She became queen. So this Jewish orphan suddenly finds herself as queen. And you think that that's where the story ends. That's usually where the movie ends. But do you know that that was just the beginning of the story for Esther? Because a plot develops, and this a man who has the king's ear develops this plot to exterminate the Jews. And Mordecai, her cousin, finds out about it, starts fasting and praying outside the palace walls, and she goes to him, and he says to her, and this is the most well-known verse in all, of, in all of the book of Esther, he says, you know, Esther, you are the only one who is in a position to do something about this. And who knows? Who knows but that you have been put in royal position for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, you weren't the one who made yourself beautiful. You weren't the one who controlled the fact that you became queen. And now you sit in this place, and who knows that the whole reason you're there is because you are supposed to do something about this edict. And all of a sudden, Esther pulls back and she sees that her life is much bigger than she thought. And brothers and sisters, this morning, I want to invite you to see your life the same way. Your life is bigger than you think. You are touching and changing people's lives every day. You might say, well, Lori, not really. I'm just home with, you know, a couple of kids. That's all I do right now. Well, guess what? Those two kids, or however many kids, or if you're a teacher, or if you work in a, in a place, all the people around you are also influencing other people, and they are being influenced by you. Your life is bigger than you think, and you're part of a bigger story. And this lens, and this is what I call them in my book, these lenses that help us see our life differently so that we can respond to our life differently. This first lens is the big view lens, when you pull back and see all that your life really is. The other lenses, there are three more, David really takes up in a psalm that I want to take us to right now. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 143 is where we're going to live in this time, because I wanted to give you something that you could take from this day and actually read through and remind yourself of these lenses. David starts out his psalm and thinking about his life. David knew his life was a, a big life. But you know what? Very frankly, some of us are living chapters that we don't want to live. Maybe you're here right now at Marine Covenant Church going, I'm just going to drag myself to church. It's a holiday weekend, but things are not going that great. Well, guess what? I'm glad you're here. Because look at the way that David starts the psalm. We'll have the scripture up on the screen. Psalm 143. Here's how he starts. Oh, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart is dismayed. David is not afraid to be honest with God. I don't know why we feel like we have to buck up, particularly around each other. But David shows us that there's a model that we can be honest with God. Well, I don't know how many of you are living a season that you would rather not live, but I can tell you I have in my life. And one in particular 
was my season of singleness. And that was my story. It's probably not all of your story. Some of you have been married since your early 20s. Well, for me, I wasn't the ring by spring gal in college, but I always thought by about 25 I'd meet my guy. I presented God with my plan, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what the problem is with that. But somehow I've done that several times, and he hasn't really listened to me. And then I got to 30, and I began to pray a little louder and started recruiting other people in this prayer. And I was speaking a little bit all over the country, uh, particularly in youth ministry at the time. And so I started asking other people to pray. And people, I think Jeff was one of them, actually. Lord, have mercy on this girl and bring her a husband. Well, when 40 came, I began to suspect that God was deaf. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that, but you've been praying something so long, you just wonder, Lord, are you even listening to me? Are you even there? That's where I was. And then at 42, I got engaged. And I have to tell you, the hallelujah chorus broke out in my household. I mean, I promptly had two bridal showers. I bought the most beautiful wedding dress you've ever seen. And then four months before my wedding, my fiance got deployed. He was a, a Marine reservist, and he was going to be gone nine months. And I thought, well, I've waited this long. I can wait a little bit longer. Well, in the course of his deployment, unbeknownst to me, his ex-wife began to have second thoughts about their divorce, and they were writing each other. And when he came back, we actually broke up, and he remarried his ex-wife, which is a great story when you're not the girl engaged to the guy. And I had well-meaning Christians say, well, isn't it great that God used you to bring them back together? You know what? It's fabulous. I hope you have the same opportunity someday. <laughs> the fact was, it was great. My parents are divorced, and I would have loved nothing more than for them to reconcile and get back together. And reconciliation is what God wants. He wants that. But I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, it was a crisis of faith for me because at now 43 years old, I'm saying, Lord, do you really think I'm strong enough for that? You take the desire of my heart? I mean, you can see how I might have seen that from a spiritual perspective. But I believe it was the most important time in my life because it was there that I hit my crossroads of faith. And some of you have been there where you have to decide between whether you're going to believe in a Santa Claus God who gives you what you want or the living God who takes you on the life that he has for you. And that is what happened to me. And in the course of that time, though, I was speaking. I wasn't even just working at a church. I was speaking all over the place about God and his grace and encouraging people to come to know him. And I remember just getting on my face going, Lord, I cannot tell my story. People are going to walk away from you. Well, if that's what it means to follow God, I don't want that. And you know what I heard in the quietness of my heart during those seasons? Don't you worry about me, little girl. I'll take care of myself. You just tell your story. Because that's the story I've given you, and you watch what I do. And so slowly but surely, I began to share my story. And I developed what I want to pass on to you this morning that I think is so important as Christians. The middle of the story theology. The middle of the story is where we live. And I would get to the end of my testimony, and I would say, and we ended up breaking up, and then I would stop, and everybody would be staring at me, and I'd say, and I don't know what's going to happen. 
but I know my God is good and I'm going to hang on to him and he's not finished with my story. That is a testimony. I don't know why we as Christians wait until the bow is tied and the answer to prayer has come and then we share our testimonies. We need to be sharing our testimonies in the middle of the story. Because when you say, I don't know what God's going to do, but I'm still holding on, that's a testimony. And I want to tell you something, that's when you have the attention of people in your life. Nobody really cares when your life is going great. But when you are holding on to God, when your life isn't going great, then people know there's something different about you. And I believe that we should be honest about where we are and then hold on to God. So that's what David does. He's honest with God. And then he moves on to the second lens. And this is the lens that I call the rear view lens. And this is what David says in verse 5. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like parched land. David is thirsty, but he says, but I remember. I remember what you did. Sometimes in order to see our way forward, this is a quote from my new book, we have to look backward. We have to remember what God has done. The Israelites, they, in fact, some of your pastors are probably seeing these stones that have been excavated. They used to pile stone altars, and they did that because they wanted to remember what God did in that place. And so every time they'd walk by, they'd see a pile of stones, and they knew God had moved in that place. What are your stones? Maybe they're not actual stones, but maybe you want to start piling stones around your house. But whether you're piling stones or not, are you writing journals? Is it showing up in your art? Are you writing down when God has met you so you can go back and return to that when you don't see what God is doing right now? Because I don't know about you, I live in the dark a lot of times. I have no idea what my God is doing half the time. I'm just watching to see. But when I look back, I can see what he has done in my life, and I trust that he's still at work, even if it's taking a lot longer than I would like. The rear view helps you do that. And the other thing that I've noticed about the rear view is that sometimes our stories get reinterpreted with time. Something really terrible happened, but as time passes, you see maybe a new meaning for that. Maybe it was something that did something in you or prepared you for something that was to come. I know that when my life fell apart, I was in New Jersey speaking, and I was doing a, a day-long youth worker seminar. And there were about 500 youth workers there, and uh, I was talking about youth ministry, really, the whole day. And about lunchtime, I would end up going into an office somewhere and just not talking, because I was talking all day long. And uh, everybody went to lunch, and there was one woman who stayed behind. She was African-American, beautiful woman, and she just stood there. And I said, um, can I help you? And she said, you know, I just wanted to mind my own business and go to lunch, but the Lord wouldn't let me. Well, now she had my attention. <laughs> and so she walked up to me, and then she took my hand, and she said these words, the Lord is going to bring you a husband. Now, I have to tell you, once she started launching in what I knew was going to be a prophecy, 
This was very foreign to my church experience. I was working at a Presbyterian church at the time. We did not have prophecies. We had meetings about prophecies and when they should take place. And she is just flat out launching into this, right? She says, the Lord is going to bring you a husband. Of course, speaking the desire of my heart. I wasn't even talking about singleness. And she said, he will love you as Christ loves the church. And he will take your head to his chest and he will protect you, and he will be a support to your ministry. Four months later, I met the guy that I would get engaged to four months after that. And I have to tell you, after we broke up, I wanted to call the lady from New Jersey. There were a few things you left out of your prophecy. Can you explain this one to me? Because I was sure this was the one that God had brought. Don't we do that? Oh, this is it. This is what God is doing. And we guess, and then we move ahead. Well, the truth is, brothers and sisters, I'm happy to tell you that at the ripe young age of 49 years old, the prophecy actually did come true. But it was only after it didn't come true. And all the stuff in between that was so confusing when I didn't know what God was doing was the most important stuff of all. Because that's where faith comes from. My goodness, if we didn't have to work that muscle of faith, we wouldn't have faith. If God just did stuff for us like Santa Claus, we wouldn't need to have faith. He's trying to grow our faith. And so the rear view helps you hold on when you don't know what God is doing. The third lens is what I call the present view lens. And David says this in verse 8. He says this, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. In other words, one door at a time, David's going to follow God one step at a time. A quote from my new book says this, rest in what is, knowing it's part of taking you to what will be. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that God, and you've probably heard this before in an illustration, guides more like a GPS than he does like a map. He doesn't give you from start to finish everything that's going to happen in your life, although there are many times when I wish I could peek. Maybe now that I've lived long enough, I don't want to peek, actually. But the truth is, he, lives, he leads you one door at a time. And a lot of times, here's what I've discovered about God. Why is it important that we stay in the present view? Because sometimes we're so focused on what we want to see God do that we miss what he is doing. And sometimes we have to step back and go, you know, Lord, I'm so focused over here, but I'm not looking at the door that is opening. You know, right after my life fell apart, about Four months after that, I got a call from John Ireland. And he was, of course, the pastor that planted Ocean Hills. And he said, Lori Polich, how are you? I heard you got married. I'm like, no. And he goes, oh, sorry. <laughs> he goes, well, you know, we were praying about this new position at our church, and your name came up. I don't know if you're interested at all. And I, I heard the word prayer in my name, and I was so lost at that point wondering and waiting and watching what God was going to do, that even though I wasn't looking for a job, I said, I'm going to come up and check it out. I think back to that decision. Had I not gone to Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara was where I met my husband three years later. And that wasn't the door I was looking for. So I want to encourage you this morning. 
You might have your eyes on one door, but you might want to pay attention to some other doors that are opening right now. Because God is working in your life. And one door can lead to another door that can lead to another door that might actually lead to that door if you are following God and what he has for you. We as Christians should be waking up every day going, Lord, what do you have? It might not be a season that you want to live, but God has you there for a reason. And I see all throughout my single life, I mean, 49 years I spent single. I mean, heaven forbid that I would just be sitting on the couch waiting for the rose, you know? I mean, I had to live my life. So there were other things in life. And what I've come to realize now that I'm married to this wonderful man, that there are other things besides marriage. There are other things besides the thing you want. And there are other things happening in your life. So look around. The God you serve is the great I am not I was or I will be. He's all those things, but he calls himself I am, even when it sounds like he's speaking in the wrong tense. Moses says to him in Exodus 3, well, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh? Who is it that I'm supposed to say sent me? God says, tell them I am sent you. It sounds like he's speaking in the wrong tense. But I've discovered that that wrong tense is where God lives. He is the great I am. And when we're living in the past or the future, mentally, we're there without him. That's why we stress out. We start thinking about the future. Some of you are thinking about that right now. What am I going to have for lunch? Who am I going to be with later? What just happened before? I mean, that's where we live. God's saying, you know what? Hey, I'm here right now and I'm talking to you. Are you? Are you here? And that's how we have to live our life. It's the present view lens one day at a time as we live the life that God has given us. And can I also tell you, brothers and sisters, that your story isn't over. Some of you need to hear that. You have been walking in something that you want so long. I can't remember, it was, just, it was boring after a while. It was just so long of wanting the same thing. Feeling labeled like, oh, poor Lori, gosh, we'll keep praying for her, you know. I mean, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe not in that particular area. And the fact is, anything can happen at any time. When I met this, when you see my husband later, some, a woman walked up to me earlier between services and she said, I looked at your husband and I was like, Oh my gosh, he's like Gaston, only the good kind. I mean, he's gorgeous. But not just on the outside, on the inside. God had that for me, but I couldn't have known it. And because, you know, I was 49 and I pretty much aged myself out of actually being a biological mother, unless God was going to pull another Sarah type birth, which I guess we're still open to. But anyway, I got a child in the mix. He was six when I married, so I say I got two for the price of one. And God can have anything for you at any time. He doesn't care about the timeline you have. You might go, it's too late for me. Well, how about Abraham and Sarah? They were in depends and diapers at the same time. <laughs> you have a God who doesn't care about your timeline. Do you know that, brothers and sisters? He didn't care about mine. I wasn't exactly planning on, you know, 49 for my wedding day, but that was God's plan for me. And I see now how he's used that in my life. And he has blessed me. And he is going to bless you. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, God is not finished with your story. Would you just say that right now? Because some of you need to hear that right now. God is not finished with your story.
It might look dark, but sometimes it's the darkest, it's the blackest before the most incredible thing happens. Trust me, I know. And the other thing that's true about your life is that this life isn't the end of the story. We have been given these days, this life, these things in our life. But you know what? Someday we're going to be with Jesus forever. And you know what he's about in this life? Is building us to be the people we're going to be then. And that's the higher view lens. The higher view lens. And that's where David ends. I love this. Look at this. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy my foes, for, let's say it together, I am your servant. I am your servant. Well, the last time I checked, a servant doesn't tell a master what he thinks he should be doing. He says, you know what? I don't get it. I don't know why, but I am your servant. If we've given our lives to Christ, that's who we are. We're his, and our life is for his glory. You didn't get to pick where you were born. You didn't get to pick the parents you were born to. You didn't get to pick the color of your skin, the country you were born in, the economic situation of the family you were born in. You had no choice. The time in history that you were born, you didn't get to choose that. God chose that for you. In fact, God chose that for everybody, whether they believe it or not. But you get to choose what you're going to do with the God-given life God has given you. And I know some of you have suffered. Some of you maybe have had an easy life. I don't know what that looks like. I'm sure you had one concept of me when I got on the stage, and now you have a different one, because I opened the kimono and told you some of the things that have happened in my life. I wish Christians would do that more. But the truth is, no matter how much suffering you've been through, God can still use you in a powerful way. And sometimes, the more difficult your life is, the more he uses you. And I want to close our service by showing you a video of a good friend of mine. There's a picture of us on the screen. His name is Chris Benedict. Chris goes to our church. Chris has cerebral palsy. And Chris is going to tell you his story and what happened to him when God got hold of his life. Chris is in the introduction of my new book and was one of the inspirations behind it. Chris also was the DJ at my wedding. He shows me every day that I see him that if he can live the God-given life he has been given, the way he has lived it, certainly I can walk through dark seasons in my life and hold on to God. You don't get to choose the life, the body that you've been given, but you do get to choose how you live it. And my prayer is that today you've been encouraged to live your life well. And I'd like to close in prayer. So would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me. If you want to join me in this prayer, I want to invite you just to place your hands in your lap, palms up, as a symbol Lord, here we are. Our palms are open because this is the life you've given us. And for whatever reason, we are here together this morning. We've heard this word from you. And I believe there's a reason for that. And I believe that you 
want to say to each person here, you're not doing this alone. I am with you. I am for you. Even when it doesn't look like I'm for you, I am for you. You will see so much more when you look back. I am doing things in your life right now that you can't see. Hold on to me. And our response with our open hands is to say, okay, yes, yes, Lord, I will. With your help, I want to give you this life you've given me. And so we do that this morning in the powerful name of Jesus, whose body and blood we've ingested today, who shows us we're not alone. We pray these things. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much for having me.